Hello and welcome to episode 7 in the Masters of the World series looking back on the history of the BDO World Masters. This time I'm delighted to be joined by Jabber, Jamie Caven, a winner of seven PDC ranking titles and the winner of the 1993 World Youth Masters. I'm now delighted to be joined by Jabber, Jamie Caven. How are you, Jamie? Yeah, not too bad, mate. And it's been a very weird year. What's 2020 been like for you? I think it's, um, it's been the same for everybody, really, hasn't it? Um, obviously, with uh, lockdowns and, and the like, you know, it's obviously put a hold on everything. So it's just been the same. I think everybody everybody will be glad when it's over and done with this year, I think. Have you played much online darts during the, the lockdowns and whatever? No, I haven't. No, to be honest, because I have I have had a go, and you know, I've, I've played with a, a few guys that are, are playing a in a like competitive league with you know normally with with the online stuff, and it's not the same for me. I think a lot of people have said the same thing. You just have to um, have to make do with what you've got. But you know, for me, it doesn't. It, you know, it doesn't even compare to playing one on one and having an opponent, and you know, you feed off their off their aggression or their, you know, the, the way they sort of put themselves forward when they play, if they've had a bad shot and the head drops, it sort of builds your... You don't get that with online. All you see is the board and the, and the scores coming through. It's just not the same game for me, unfortunately. And I know over the, the last while, you've been really busy on the exhibition circuit as well, so it's been weird, I assume, for you not having all that work this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously building up to, um, to March-April time when lockdown came in, um, I was looking forward to having a good year. My calendar was full, my diary was packed, um, so I had a lot on. But obviously, the way things have gone, it's uh, it became empty very quickly. So, but you know, it's one of them things we just have to hope that next year, early into next year, we can get back to some sort of normality where we can, you know, start again. And looking back for you, when did you first start playing darts? Um, I first started looking for it when I was. Um, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was only really little. Um, my dad used to play uh, for a pub team. He played a bit of Super League. He wasn't really a, a really good player. He didn't play county dots or anything like that. But he had the interest and used to watch it on TV with the likes of Eric, uh, Eric Bristow, John Lowe, um, Jockey Wilson, the likes. Uh, and I picked it up straight away. It was it became a big, big love of mine from a very young age. So it's pretty much been in my blood all my life. Now, obviously, you know, one of the big things with you is that, you know, you were stung by a bee when you're only 18 months old and, and you're blind in your right eye. So, as a right-handed thrower, in theory, you can't see where the darts land in the board. So, how does that work for you? Well, I, I see when it's landed. I just don't sort of, you know, I can't sort of look down my flight or anything like that. I have to be left-eye dominant. So, I can see, see what's in it. It's just that sometimes... Sometimes, I'll tell you a prime example is sometimes people will watch me if I've switched to 19s and it might look like it's a perfect guide for them. Well, with me not having 20-20 vision, it probably isn't sat right, so I have to switch because I don't get to see the whole target. you know what I mean? It's quite difficult to explain, but that's generally, um, generally how it works with me. Hmm. And I suppose with it happening so early in your life, when you started playing darts, it was something you probably just adjusted to naturally anyway. Yeah, there was no adjustment, was there really? It was just the way, that was just the way it is for me. It wasn't like, 
you know, I'd, I'd played for, for a long time or anything, got to a certain standard, and then all of a sudden I've, I've lost the sight of my eye, so it has to change. It's, you know, when I know when I first started doing okay and qualifying for the World Championships and things like that, um, the press wanted to make a big deal of it, and really it's never been a big deal to me because of that, because of, there's been no... Um, there's been no sort of alteration had to be made or anything like that cause it's just all, always the way it has been with me. So the first big title for you was 1993 when you won the, the World Youth Masters. What are your memories from that event? Yeah, I guess it was. I guess that was the first uh, big one. Um, memories are uh, quite clear of it still. In fact, I went, went down to the, to the finals with my dad on the train um, went down to the, to the hotel in London uh, and I think we arrived quite late on the Thursday. It was quite late, so it went too long before I was in bed for the night and then on the Friday morning the tournament began. And, um, uh, I went through the rounds quite quickly. I was playing quite well, got through the first few rounds quite easy and then um, I didn't realise at the time but my, my match that was about to come up was a quarterfinals and I was like I didn't realise how quick it had gone you know um, and after winning that match um, I was told that I'm in the semi-final uh, later on on the stage and all of a sudden it was like become a bit of a reality check if you like um, I was one game away from you know after the semi-finals from winning the title so it was, it was quite a, it's quite a clear memory of it but yeah, it was it was obviously one of the main things that I achieved certainly certainly so early in my career. You know, the final you beat Lee Palfreyman three one. Was that you know when you won? Was that the moment you thought you know what I can make a go of darts as a career? Um, probably not not really not straight away because I was only like seventeen at the time. I was only still quite young, and although nowadays there's academies everywhere, you know, on my own, and you know, the young players on the development tour now I was starting from the age of 16 so you know you can play to a good level from an early age but at the time really to be honest there wasn't that many clubs certainly not likely to me at my age most of my friends was like in their 20s and 30s if you know what I mean in the pubs and pubs playing in the leagues so I couldn't really put myself against anybody of the same age and think I was you know any better than them so I couldn't sort of think you know, I'm going to be a great player when I'm older or anything like that. Maybe just the fact that I just loved it and I just wanted to keep playing and I was doing quite well. I was aware of that, of course. And a couple of years later, your your health took a turn and they discovered you'd got some tumours on your, your pancreas and I know now you have to take insulin stuff. How did that kind of all happen for you and, you know, how much of an effect did that have on you physically? Quite a quick thing. Um, I remember I was having blackouts. Um, and then being woke up by paramedics and stuff like that. So obviously they were concerned, you had to do tests. Um, I had a, had a young child at the time. Um, I, I was working full time, so things were quite quite stressful, you know, young family and all that. Um, but as soon as, as soon as they took this, you know, one day, um, because I think I had a, like a really bad episode when I felt they couldn't bring me round, they took me to the hospital, did a series of tests. Um, series of different scans and found that there were pan- uh, pancreas tumours, so they had to do a, an operation just to explore basically what was going on. And it was all interlinked. That was the reason I was I was blacking out. I don't know what the link was exactly, but I know there was a problem. 
Um, and when I had the operation, I, I sort of come around and they'd taken the whole thing. I've got a scar in the shape of an arc across my abdomen um, because it was before, only just before keel surgery was being done, or I would have had three little cuts in the stomach rather than a great big arc. But um, so I suppose after that as well, I had, um, I had a, a period of time where um, I couldn't walk unaided for, for a while, so I had to use like dicks to get about. So it was it was quite a sort of it, it, it sort of did interfere with normal life, if you like. Um, couldn't work for a while, couldn't make arts for a while. That was a little back of my at the time, because you know when when you're young and all of a sudden you've got you've got a problem like that, it's um, you know you, you sort of wonder what's gonna gonna happen. And sort of to this day, I know on you know the PDC events and the BDO that long, long days. So with the, the insulin stuff, is it just a case of trying to stay on top of it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It, it, um, you know, it, I mean, straight away, as soon as I had the operation, I had to go on insulin because I had my pancreas taken away. And then obviously life life changes to a degree because obviously you can do certain things and not other things. So. Um, with, with long days, it's it's just a case of managing everything accordingly. How you you know how you have to really. Two thousand and eight, you made your PDC World Championship debut. Uh, you beat Wes Newton in the first round and then, and then lost to, to Wayne Marder. What? How was that walking out and, and playing in a World Championship for the first time? Well, to be honest, it was the first year that it was played at Alexandra Palace, so it was like a new thing for a lot of players going from Circus Tavern. Um, the Alexandra Palace and I know that because I've never played a World Championship game at the Circus Tavern but the Players Championship Finals were played there and in comparison the venues are completely the opposite Circus Tavern you know people will know that have been there it's very small very low ceiling very warm uh, very noisy uh, Ali Ali's really noisy too but it's a massive arena and it's I think back in the day when it when it first started my match against Wes was an afternoon game so a lot of the tears and, and stuff were blacked out because they weren't selling tickets for every session back then. There was like a few hundred people in the crowd, but just on the floor. And that for me was, you know, the TV cameras. It was a brand new experience and it was, it was quite an amazing one. And to win the game as well um, on your debut is, is, is fairy tale stuff, really. But then in comparison to playing Wayne, it was like the Saturday night, last game on. So the lights have been on all night, you know, cooking the stage. It's red, like playing in a sauna, and the, and the venue was packed. So the two differences were were massive. From playing with in front of a few hundred people, fairly quiet arena, to a noisy packed arena on a Saturday night, red hot. It was it was completely different, but it was still something I really enjoyed. Even though I lost to Wayne, it was still something that um, an experience that I'd never had before um, and something that I think helped me in some respects um, for, the, for the following 10 years. You know, 2008, you made your first sort of PDC final in Wales and then the next year, 2009, again in Wales, you won your first PDC title, beating Alan Tabern 6-5 in a Players' Championship final. What did that mean to, to pick up your first PDC title? It was, it was quite strange because, yeah, it was the same venue and I think it was like a year today or very close. Um, because I, I lost to Ronnie Baxter in the first one, in the first final. Um, and it was set, so we had set play. I think it was best of three, best of five sets throughout. Um, and I think Ronnie beat me 3-0, but then changing to leg play sort of suited me better because 
in fair play, the legs you want, if you don't win the set, you don't get no reward for it. You know, if you lose 2-1 in a set, you, you start moving all the following sets, so that legs completely wiped out. Like, in leg play, match play is, is, is um, you know, you, you keep your legs, you win, so you can go on a run, win a few legs, and, um, you know, not have them taken away from you, but to win the actual event, it was it was something quite special, because, like you say, it was my first one. Um, and I had a, a bit of a joke as it happened. I was going to Las Vegas for the um, Desert Classic, try and qualify for that. So I said to the wife at the time, I just started, so I said to Debbie at the time, if I win a tournament this weekend, being that weekend, um, then you can come to Vegas. And then obviously oh, I won the Sunday, so I had to, to uphold my part of the bargain, if you like that, to uh, keep my word and pay for a flight to come to Vegas. 2009 was a good year for you as well. I mean, you you know you got to the quarterfinals of the UK Open and you made your debut at Players Championship Finals, the World Match Play, the World Grand Prix. You know, what was that like when you were you know playing more and getting a lot more recognition and playing in those big events? Yeah, it was it was um, it was really diff- different in the fact that things had started to change for the better. Um, I quit my job um, after after getting into the to the World Championship in 2008. I was still working at the time. Um, and uh, my prize money was about 7000 I think it was, for, for getting to the second round in 2008. So I sort of had a decision to make. Do I chuck all my eggs in one basket? Do you know, do, do use the money to have a nice, you know, go on a holiday or, you know, put it down as, you know, towards the house or do we do, you know, towards a car or something like that? Um, and Debbie said, why don't you just give yourself a chance and pay for yourself to do the tour, you know, instead of waiting for sponsors to come, because if you do well, they do come. Um, invest in yourself and give it six months. If you don't, then if, if nothing comes of it, then you've not lost anything. You know, your money, you've spent your money, but you're not going to be asking yourself, what if? You know, and that was a big thing, because within those first few months, like you said, I qualified for the players, um, the match play and the Grand Prix. So... My seven thousand had equated to about fifteen, sixteen thousand. If if it was going to be just first round appearance money, you know, if it was first round losers money, so it was a good decision to make. But with um, supporters and things like that, it was really good. You know, I got a bit, bit of popularity, which is always good for the ego, you know, I guess. But um, but yeah, things had started to change for the better then, and um, yeah, it was a good time. And packing up your job and going pro, what difference did that make to you on on a day to day basis? I think it's a, it's a big key factor. A lot of the top players over the years have said that when they're interviewed and asked about it. You know, dedication is, is a big thing. Um, you know, because uh, I suppose, you know, when, you, when you're not involved, you don't think it's that much of a sacrifice, but really it is, because unless you're willing to put the time in and the effort in, you, you know, you're not going to reap the rewards, I'm sure. You know, you'd be very fortunate if you did, if you didn't practice, if you didn't put the time in. Um, but then that, obviously, that became my job, and that was my eight-hour-a-day job, if you like. Um, it's, it's sort of virtually impossible to do eight hours in one go, but, you know, break, broken up through the day, it was, it was a good seven or eight hours' worth of practice every day. And I think when you can do that and you start to see the changes and you start to see the improvement, it's going to make you want to do it more and more. And certainly with the picking up with cars money along the way, it's going to give you that determination even more so. 2010, you picked up a, a Players' Championship title in Canada. When I, looking back at the results, that really struck me because in the semi-finals you beat Dennis Priestley, 
And in the final, you beat Michael Van Gerwen. So it was almost like, you know, two generations at the same time. It was a nice event in Canada, actually. We, we only did it for a couple of years. Um, I think, um, yeah, winning that, I Michael 6-2 or 6-3 in the final. But obviously, he was he was really young then. He was still a very good player. But obviously, not not as good as the man he's turned into in recent years. You know, of course, it's not... He wasn't as consistent as he, as he is now, sort of thing. But you know, nevertheless, it was still a good win. It was it was worth the journey, of course. And then the following day, I lost in the final to Colin Lloyd. So I, I, I was quite close to having a, a double header weekend that very weekend. One of your games I remember watching it was at the the 2012 UK Open. You got to the quarters that year, but in the last 16, you played Joe Cullen, and you you were five one down. And then you you know roared back to win and and you won it with that that big one sixty that must have been a, a special victory for you. It was because we were done. So the main board was obviously right at the bottom. The main feature board at the V Rock was too much to the right, and, and the practice area was above that. Um, and no, I, don't know, I think I went in at what down, and then I think if I remember rightly, the next. The next thing I realised, I think I was 6-2 down or 6-1 down or something. And all of a sudden, because Joe was a young lad coming through then, uh, there was a lot of um, spectators. You know, a lot of interest had been because he was, he was giving me a good idea. Um, and I somehow clawed it back to, to get to the break. And he thought, say, we got to, got to eat a piece and then I took the one sixty down. And, yeah, it was good, it was good because um, I discovered then that I had you know you mentioned going close to doing the double in Canada in 2010 well you did manage that in in 2013 and you know they were the, your first titles in two years so after winning the one on the Saturday that must have given you massive confidence going into into the second one Like, God, just freely, and like I say, you know, one by tournaments, 
That Sunday in the in the final, I think you averaged hundred and just shy of hundred and eleven. So certainly played very well indeed. And the, and the World Championship wasn't always, you know, the happiest hunting ground for you. But 2014 and 2015, you played Raymond van Barneveld, and both games were, you know, like really, really good, very, very close. What are your memories from those two games of Barney? Well, both years, uh, um, I beat, uh, I beat Yellow again in the first round, and I beat the PDGA qualifier in the first round the following year. And both times, I played Raymond in the second round. You know, Barney. But Barney, when he's flowing, he's, he's, he's just great to watch. But when you play him, it's like you, you can't watch him. You know, you've got to keep your head down and do your own thing. But uh, because there's no, he's wrapped up, there's no messing about, no slowing up, you know, no gamesmanship, if you like. It's just straightforward, you're easy to play against. Uh, and that was the thing. I was aware both games were close. Fell short in both, of course. But, yeah, good, good memories of them too, without a doubt. They were, they were both, um, both good matches and... Um, and the fact, you know, with the, with the credit that Raymond gave me as well afterwards was really quite nice because obviously he's, he's well looked at as a, as a legend of the game. But I tried not to sort of let that get in the way. You know, I needed to do my job as he needed to do his, and I, I wanted to win both times, and I was gutted that I didn't. But you know, just one of them things. But looking back, it's still still something good to be part of. Twenty seventeen and, and twenty eighteen, there was a dip in form for you, and eventually you ended up losing your your tour card. Was there anything in particular influencing maybe that, that dip in form or was it just one of those things? Different things. Um, I think if there were anything influencing it, then I'd have done more to, you know, certainly done something to change it, you know. Uh, if it's something you can put your finger on, you you know, you, you do what you need to do to, to put it right. Nothing nothing in particular, um, really. I'm, I'm never one to using excuses anyway. But um, I think the standard over the last few years has just got higher and that's it sounds a bit of a cliche because a lot of people say it, but it is true. You know, you you play a lot of games sort of ten years ago or so and, you know, if you if you're a seed a seed on the pro tour you you know, you get a couple of games under your belt without playing the, the other seed and it used to it used to work a lot of the time that you'd see the two seeds would meet in final of the board. That used to happen quite a lot. But these days, seeds are going to be in first round, and it's because the standard is just so much higher now. It's, there's so much money involved. It's like there's a big pie available, and everybody wants a piece. Everyone wants the biggest piece they can get, you know. And, and that's just due to the fact that the game's global now, and it's got all the all the their time on TV and sponsors get involved in the big prize money and stuff like that. So everybody wants to try and try and get there and, and do what they can. But mm. the thing is, there's only so many tour cards available and if, if you're not playing well enough, then you're going to miss the boat, unfortunately. And that's, that's basically what happened with me uh, a couple of years ago. 2019, you, you then went to Q School. And how did you find that experience? Because obviously that's something you hadn't had to do before. Yeah, very, very weird. Um... Not, not weird, because obviously I've been to open tournaments and things like that before, where there's been more than that. And, uh, you know, 300 people or whatever it was. Uh, but not at that level. Everybody, well, 90% of the players, 95% of the players were all very good. You know, you wouldn't pay a big entry fee 
to try and get a tour card if he wasn't of, of a decent standard, really. So it was really quite an eye-opener. Um, but like I say, you know, it's, the thing is, when you've just when you've just lost your tour card, your confidence is not going to be great anyway. You know, it's more not more like a patch thing to get it back. It's just a matter you're not going to put into one, so you lose your confidence, and you're not playing well going into a, a four-day event where probably 70 or 80 percent of the people there are well anyway. Hmm. So it's it's a, a very difficult thing to do, but but yeah, um, you know, hats off to anybody that's that's done it and um, and got a card, especially because it's not easy at all. I don't know. I've spoken to other players who, you know, when they go to that that first Q school after they've lost their card, it's almost like there's a, a target on their back. They're, you know, a big name. Did you find any differences when you went to Q school at the start of this year? Um, no, it was it was still the same in the in the sense that you know there was a lot of really good players there that wouldn't get a card um, because there's only so many available. I didn't feel any different really in the sense that I didn't feel any less pressure or anything like that. Just the fact that if you if you're playing on top of your game, you're going to fancy winning one. That's that's the thing, and I think when you're going into that, you have to be. Um, in the mindset that you're playing well enough rather than trying to blank that you're playing well if you're not, if you understand what I mean. And something I noticed last year, you, you played some of the, the BDO tour last year as well and got to a semi-final in Scotland. How did you find those BDO events that you did play in? Um, yeah, very different because um, the boards are all pretty close together in most of them. Scotland was really good actually because they were quite efficient space and they had tables in play. <laughs> But in the early round, you had, you had somebody drunk walking past it, knocking to you and things like that. So you have to be, you have to be prepared for that. That's just the way it is. But um, it was, it was certainly, certainly well run. It wasn't as, as bad as people would say. Those that have not been to a video event would probably imagine it to be um, ridiculous. I suppose compared to the, to the PDC events. Uh, it's nothing like that. It's, it's completely different. There's noise, you know, because you, you have to be very silent at the PDC floor event. Shouting going on and all that kind of thing. But, you know, what? the game was created in a pub, so that you sort of expect that. But when you've been at the top end of it in the professional side, and then you, you sort of experience it, you know, the difference is it's quite big. But I think, you know, that, you know in all fairness to the the BDO officials at these events they do you know they must get a lot of stick as well if somebody's been timed out or you know or whatever um, I imagine the job's really quite um, you know quite difficult but, but yeah I found it okay and I saw on social media earlier this year you know you put together a, a, a book um, the way I see the game how did you find that the process of putting the book together and did you enjoy it well um it was written by a guy called Dave Kirby, who's written a lot of darts manuals before. I've known Dave for about 20 years. Um, he's from Leicester, where I'm from. Um, and he just said to me one time, how would you fancy doing a doing a, a book about you know, your story? And I, as I said to him at the time, it was written seven years ago, back in April 2013. I said to him at the time, I'm in profile, I So I said, you know, I don't really, well, I'm not interested in really doing anything like an autobiography as such, because... I've not been running in the game professional side enough to sort of warrant doing that. So we based it on the fact blindness in my right eye and the fact of the diabetes thing through the, the tubes on the pancreas and used it more um, of an inspirational account. 
because you know it's like if people are having a bad day or they've got a situation or a condition where they think they can't fulfill what they want to do if somebody read that book and then thought you know what that's not me. so my condition is not going to stop me doing what i want to achieve then the book's done its job Hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the reason we put it together. Something I did want to ask you about, you know, with your diabetes, you, you know, you got your nickname Jabber. Was that a nickname you came up with or, or did someone give that to you? Well, it was, in, um, it was not long. Well, I say not long. It was a couple of years after I had the abdominal surgery to remove my pancreas. Obviously, left me diabetic, so I had to inject insulin. Um, and I was playing in a tournament. We were playing in it was an amateur tournament, playing in Scotland. Um, I think it's like the last 16 or the quarterfinals or something. It's the nine. I'm four one down to a really good player. I can't think for the life of me who it was or wouldn't even know the guy. But I was four one down, and one of my friends I travelled with just come out of nowhere. Go on, Joe, I'll get it stuck in. And it made me laugh. It made me laugh. I relaxed. I won the game. Um, I think I lost in the semis of the tournament. But the point being, from him calling me Jabba, was like the first time it was heard, but it was saying it as in like jab because of because of the injections. Mm. That's that's why it was given me, and I always said just as a bit of a joke. If I if I ever did anything in the game and I was allowed to keep the nickname, then I would do. So obviously, when I um, qualified for the World Championships, um, well, when I qualified for the first World Championships, I don't think I had jabber on it, but because I had a shirt made especially for the World. But I always said I'd keep the nickname, and that's what I did. What does? What's your future plan? You know, in the sport, what do you still want to achieve? Is the aim to get back on the pro tour? Um, I guess at this stage we'll see. We're still, you know, locked down apart. Still running the Jamie Cagan Darts Academy, which has been running for seven years. Got lots, and I've just joined the board of directors of the PEPA as well. So I've got a lot of stuff there to do. I still want to be active in the exhibition side of everything because I've been all over the world to do them and, you know, hopefully. But the only worry with that is, I think, because there's been none this year, my, a lot of my my gigs are repeat stuff where I've been before, so whether that stops now because I've not been there this year, I don't know because obviously we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Do I go to Q school or not? I'm unsure at the moment. We don't even know if there's going to be a Q school, obviously, with the, with the pandemic, so we just have to wait and see. Um, my game, to be honest, is not where it needs to be to warrant getting a tour card. But if the chance came along, I'd grab it with both hands, I'm sure, and I would put a lot of time in to make sure that I was getting myself there, thereabouts, um, ready to complete on a weekly basis. You know, your appointment to the PDPA board's quite a recent development, so what what's that role going to involve for you? after the members, the members being the, the pro players, obviously the PDC. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, benefits from from being a PDPA member. Um, a lot of meetings, a lot of stuff beyond the scenes that goes on really that we can't really discuss because we, we don't know yet or, you know, there's things that, you know, we, that are not allowed to be out in the open just now. So... There's quite a lot of stuff going on, and the, the guy. To be honest with you, I was I was didn't realise how how much stuff does actually go on within the PDPA. Um, whether that's an important thing or not, I don't know. But I'm certainly aware of what goes on now, and it's it really is hands on. You know, 
it's a full it's a full job. So um, I'll be doing my bit, sort of trying to. I, I suppose I'll play a bit of a player liaison role, so I can sort of help the members a bit, the players with any queries and stuff like that that they have. So going forward, it's going to be a busy time. But if I can include playing within that as well, then then that's all the better. The last question from me. Looking back, what would you say is the, the biggest highlight of your career? Biggest highlight? I don't think I have one specifically. I'll probably say winning the, 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 the double header is probably up there, I'd say. Certainly within the professional game because not, many, not that many people have done it. I think it's been done by about 15 players. So, yeah, there's not that many really. Obviously, Taylor's done it a lot. And Gerwin's done it numerous times. You know, a lot of players have done it, uh, you know, more on... Uh, you know, I've done it just for once, but I'm happy with that. Um, because, like I say, there's only 14 or 15 players that's ever achieved it. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jamie. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully right. hopefully next year is, is a bright year for everybody. Yeah, lovely. I hope so. Cheers. Thank you very much.